What's up? Welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. We had a very busy first weekend of February. Joined by Leaf Tulin. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And today we're going to give you some stuff to bet on. Maybe some hot takes, you know, give, uh, give a couple new takes that you may not have seen, not just for, you know, clicks and whatnot, but actually things that we believe because that is the nature of the draft is not everything is as consensus. In fact, it's almost the opposite. You don't want to stay with the consensus, but not, not to a point. But ultimately, we're going to bring you some of our hottest takes that we haven't brought out yet, um, including what could be with Duke, could be with some rising players, and then recap and preview what happened in college basketball. But first, let's get that intro music. You are locked on NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA Draft, joined by Leif Tulin, my co-host, as always. Got a little bit of a change in the scenery if you're watching on YouTube, which if you're not, go ahead and subscribe to us, Locked On NBA Draft. Leif, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We got a good week in college basketball behind us, a good one coming up, and, and there's some movements on uh, of some prospects, I think, that are shooting up some boards, some that are slipping down, and I, I'm excited to talk about it all. Yeah, likewise. Um, and thank you for everybody for listening, uh, for making us your first listen of the day at Locked On NBA Draft. We have a good episode for you. We're going to preview what happened, or excuse me, recap what happened in college basketball. We're going to preview what happened, uh, what will happen in this upcoming week, some expectations, some big games. And then we're going to give, uh, we're going to talk about some, some special games and some special players that we see. Uh, aren't getting enough attention on some boards or maybe some areas that are being under discussed that may be seen as hot takes, but generally, you know, what, uh, what needs to be open to just an open discussion about some certain players. So let's dive right into it. I think one of the first games that I'd want to talk about was Kentucky versus Alabama. This one had all the, honestly, we didn't even know what to expect. All I know coming into it from a draft perspective was we had JD Davison versus Ty Ty Washington uh, that would have been – I think that was their first meeting of the year, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, should be their only. And they – I don't know. It's a weird game. Ty Ty Washington didn't really stand out. Uh, only two assists. Granted, assists are a two-man stat. You have to have someone make a shot. 15 points on 15 shots. Three rebounds, one steal. And then J.D. Davison wasn't, wasn't very good. He was three of ten, seven points, six rebounds, three turnovers, zero assists. Talk to me about this game, what you saw, and what some of your takeaways were, Leaf. It was an interesting game because I think I expected a track meet, and it was was not that. Uh, you've got some super athletic teams. you got a lot of talent on the floor, a lot of speed, a lot of like big dudes that can really run. Oscar Shibwe was what he's been all year. He's getting rebounds um, at an elite level. He's the number one rebounder in the country. He had 15 rebounds, and it felt pretty pedestrian. I think the biggest difference was the shooting. Um, not that Kentucky really lit it up from the outside, but Alabama went three of 30 from three-point range. Uh, Kentucky only had four threes. They went four of 11. When that happens, you shoot a, certainly a higher field goal percentage. They went 40% from the field. Alabama was 18 of 64 or 28%. 
So the game was never terribly close, in my opinion. And Kentucky proved they're one of the best five teams in the country to me because Alabama's given a run to the money to the best teams in the country. They lost by four to Auburn. They beat Gonzaga. They beat Houston. Uh, you know, these are tough teams to play. They beat Baylor. They beat three of the final four teams. And the only one they haven't played is UCLA, who, ironically enough, is the one that beat them in the Sweet 16. Long story short, I think Ty Ty didn't play a great game, but he didn't make as many errors as the guards of Alabama. And guard play, turnovers, and shooting, the team that won all three phases was Kentucky, and therefore they won the game. Yeah, it, it was one of the more hideous games. If you look through the box score, only one person on Alabama scored double digits. And actually, it's someone who I kind of wanted to touch on just for a second, but Charles Bediaco, I don't know how much of an NBA guy he is, but seven foot, he's long, he's pretty athletic, um, can potentially shoot, went four or four from the line. If that, That's really the intrigue if that can happen. Had eight rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block. He had the I mean, best statistical game for Alabama. I don't know if he's necessarily a guy, but he had some good defense on Oscar Tshibwe, which, I mean, player of the year candidate might be the front runner uh, is Oscar Tshibwe. So I was impressed by him, but that was probably the only thing about Alabama that I could say positively. I mean, three for 30 is a disgusting number. I've seen this as, as a Mavs fan where they try and keep chucking, keep chucking, and that's what it felt like. It was, it was just nothing was there. Yeah, it was feast or famine for sure. And, and I mean, the old adage, you live and die by the three, really came true. They went three of 30 and they died and they kept shooting. Honestly, I was like, okay, that's a good thing. But I think that's the way they're structured. Nate Oates wants them to run and gun. They didn't get many transition points uh, because Kentucky didn't have too many live ball turnovers. And so if you don't get transition points or hit any threes, Alabama is in trouble. And they're, they're four and six in SEC play after winning the SEC last year. Uh, they lost two shooters in Herb Jones, and I think that's starting to bite them in the butt. But also, I think their guards need to create more, create easier shots. I think they shoot difficult shots off the dribble, and that's something to watch because their guards are super talented and all could be very good individual players, could be NBA prospects. But, you know, you have to play as a team, and I think that's what Kentucky did better in this game than Alabama. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, Alabama's conference play has been – not good. I mean, losing to Georgia is generally um, a scary mark to have on your record. You know, Auburn almost had that happen over the weekend, which shout out to shout out to the dogs for almost going three and zero this year, or excuse me, three and one, I guess, uh, this year against Al the state of Alabama in college sports. But they they almost pulled it off. They could not pull it off. But Alabama's just kind of been a mess. I mean, they they're gonna they're probably gonna. I mean, they'll make it to the tournament, but they're not going to be a sexy name to, you know, going in. I mean, they need a hot run now going into March. There's about three weeks till or three and a half. Four, I, don't, I don't, I don't even know what day it is. Uh, it's about a month. It's over a month till selection Sunday, but the momentum starts now. So Alabama is an interesting one changing coast. Another team that I feel like is as warranted talking about a lot about is UCLA. UCLA lost to the state of Arizona. Uh, I'll just go with that this week twice. Uh, they lost at Arizona the, on, uh, on the third. They lost by 10 points, which was a pretty big upset. And then they lost in triple overtime to Arizona State by three. And Arizona State is really bad. I mean, they're 7-13. and 13. Like, that's inexcusable for the number three team. And I think the biggest NBA takeaway from this is Peyton Watson played in a total of 11 minutes. That's scary. What were some of your takeaways from just UCLA in general this week? 
I was very disappointed with their game against Arizona State. Arizona State was 6-13 and 13 entering that game. I get it's in, in Tempe, but that was a disappointing game, especially with the experience you bring back. If you fight to overtime, you typically expect with all your starters in the game, a team that made the Final Four, you got eight players that are really solid college players, and you, and you lose in three overtimes, three chances to show that you're the superior team. Um, that was disappointing. I think your Peyton Watson takeaway is accurate. I also think we saw this at the Combine last year. Jules, sorry, not Jules Bernard. Johnny Juzang does not create his own shot at the NBA Combine level. I think in this game, you saw down the stretch, the only person who created their shot uh, effectively was Jaime Hawkes. That's a guy that I would take in the second round. I, I, I may be higher on him than most, but he's one of those guys that he's a glue guy by definition, but he's more than a glue guy for his team. He's, he's a co-star on that team. I, I was disappointed in their play. I will say, though, in their in their defense, I expected them to go one and one on the week. I thought Arizona was going to beat them. I know they beat Arizona by 16, but Azulas Tubelis didn't play for Arizona in the previous meeting at Poly Pavilion, and I expected the McHale Center to be pretty raucous. So the I've only got a gripe with the loss at Arizona State. Yeah, I mean, Arizona is a good team, and, like, I mean, Ben Matherin – uh, Christian Coloco, Dalen Terry, I mean, Tubilis, I mean, those are four NBA prospects right there. And every single one of those players had a good game. They all scored double digits. Or, well, Coloco didn't, but he still had a good game. Uh, ben Matherin, four of eight, who, again, Matherin remains someone who is going to be a lottery pick if, if you haven't. Uh, we haven't really ton, done a, t- a lot about him, but he is a 3 and D wing with athleticism and much more than, I think, a 3 and D guy. Six seven can shoot the lights out, 36%. Uh, really athletic again, two assists per game. I like, can do just a lot more, um, but that he's someone who I feel like is is you know that's a big win taking down number three for the last game of the week to cover. This one was really lopsided. This is um, I was really surprised by Kansas over Baylor. That was an absolute blowout. Uh, Kansas just granted it was in it was in Lawrence. They won eighty three to fifty nine. I mean this is a team that. I previously said was the number one team in the country that they should run the tables. And now I'm really not so sure about it. Luckily they're cold in this part of the season, not in the end of this month going into March, but I mean, Baylor losing by 24. That's scary. That's a really scary sight. What did you see in this that, that stood out to you? They couldn't handle the ball. I mean, 24 honestly seems generous. Um, like it felt like it was a worse loss than 24. Uh, I, my big takeaway, I will say they're missing LJ Cryer, who's one of their best guards, important. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go when Kansas and Baylor play in Waco, uh, Baylor wins. But that said, James Akinjo had a bunch of turnovers. Adam Flegler didn't play well. Kendall Brown didn't play well. I think as much as Kansas played well and had a redemption game in Lawrence after a uh, game where they got blitzed by Kentucky, I would say the bigger story was Baylor's guards, who I – I've said is the best tan, uh, group quartet in the country. Uh, they, they laid an egg. They were terrible, and their transition defense was awful. The only bright spot I saw was Jeremy Sohan. He, he played hard, didn't play that well, but he was better than everyone else by a substantial level on his team. As for Kansas, Agbaje and Brown both had 18 and 10 and 18 and 9. Um, they're well-balanced. I, I think Baylor has a higher ceiling still, but I was terribly disappointed in the guard play. And that is something to be concerned about. Like I was with you that they seemed like they were the best team in the country. And I have some concerns now. Yeah. I mean, one thing you can always count on is one of Jeremy Sohan and 
uh, Kendall Brown, one of them is always going to be someone who stands out every single game with Baylor. That's, that's the beauty of that team. Um, for me, I mean, again, Oche Agbaji, even going two of six from three, he still had 18 points, two assists, nine rebounds on five of 11. He continues to impress. Christian Brown is a guy who he's going to get some buzz as a microwave scorer early second round. I think you might get some value from him. Those two guys have been playing really well. And also there was a Jalen Wilson assist. He's someone who had some off-court concerns that he has had to overcome, but he's uh, he's coming back into form. He, he's really fallen off from uh, – I, I don't know if he's draftable, but he's making some nice plays. Seven of ten, had four assists, seven rebounds, 15 points, two steals, one block, like pretty stacked game, and two of two within the three-point line. So he uh, he had a good game. There, this game was just something I feel like the – the rematch, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like that there is a, I'm just making sure now, now I'm doubting myself. They haven't, this isn't their second meeting, right? This is their first. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Their second meeting will be very interesting. Uh, that's, I'm very excited to see that, you know, health will be something, but I mean, even McCormick wasn't hundred percent healthy, so we'll see, but that it was a good week in college basketball. I'm excited for this upcoming week, which we'll preview as always in the third segment of this show. But First, let me tell you a little bit about our friends over at TurboTax. People think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax Live experts, that's what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you've invested in crypto for the first time over this last year, own an up-and-coming small business, or are raising a rambunctious twins. Uh, luckily, TurboTax has live experts who can answer tax questions, walk you through the whole process, or do your taxes from you for you from start to finish. They help you get every deduction you deserve, no matter what your unique situation is. And you can talk to a TurboTax Live expert through your phone or computer without leaving your house. TurboTax Live experts are here to help you however you need. And if you need an extra hand, hand off your taxes to them, and they'll do it all for you. Go to, TurboTax, uh, go to TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes into it. TurboTax Live. So uh, back with uh, not Leaf, uh, excuse me, not Raphael, as I just put up on the screen. I apologize about that. I am not Raphael Barlow. I am Richard Saban, uh, and I am joined by Leaf Tulin, as always on this Tuesday. So we, Leaf and I were talking about some stuff, uh, just casual draft stuff, and uh, I'll start off with mine. I was telling him, you know, like we've been too pedestrian on this show lately. We need to fire off something that, you know, scorches the earth a little bit more so i i want to talk about someone i'll let uh leaf go after because it'll kind of segue us into a little bit more organic of a conversation but i'll start a little bit out in left field and bring us towards the infield eric Gaines. eric Gaines is my guy i i might just be a sucker for the saucy kind of plays that he makes and that very well could just be the entire issue but i really do feel like eric Gaines is actually one of the hottest risers and should be a top 30 guy I don't know how hot this of a take this is, but really the ultimate point is to get the conversation going because Eric Gaines is someone who a lot of people on draft Twitter are very torn on. There's some people who see the fact that he's 6'2", 155. That's per basketball reference. I don't know if that's exact, but he's 6'2", 155, has the small frame, but man, he produces a lot of turnovers. Two steals per game, can defend like very well, I think, on ball in terms of just moving his feet. Needs to add the strength to actually, you know, scale up in the NBA. But the three-point shot is there. He's kind of raw. The field goal percentage, I get it, 37%, 24% from the line, but 70, or excuse me, from three, 77% from the 
from the line and just does so much and has some really creative passes, just super advanced reads. And his handles are very nice. He's just super deceptive with the ball. I think he's someone, if you're looking for that absolute upside swing, Eric Gaines is the guy. I don't know if you got to see him leave, but we previewed. Uh, if you remember last Tuesday, we talked about, you know, I want to see how Vanderbilt does. Uh, and I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back because I said the, Scotty Pippen Jr., one of the toughest guards in the SEC, was going against two of the best prospects in the SEC uh, in Ty Ty Washington, who he lit up 33 points. And then uh, he didn't exactly light up Eric Gaines. But I don't know if it was a, really an Eric Gaines thing or just he missed a lot, which I'm personally, uh, from watching the game, I think he just missed. Uh, he went two of 12, but it was uh, a big test for Eric Gaines, and he still came out on top. I don't know how much you've seen of Eric Gaines because there's hundreds of prospects, but. I'm curious what your thoughts are on him rising to potentially top 30. I think, I think that is a hot take. I'm not, I'm not there on uh, top 30. My issue is just shooting 24% from three and he's pretty diminutive in stature. Uh, I do know. I, I remember we were talking about Mike miles and in, in a couple of weeks ago on this show. And you were saying, is there a good matchup for him? And I was like, I'm, uh, Eric Gaines could be, it could be a scrappy pest in this game. So, yeah, I, I did watch a bit of that. I, I've seen Eric Gaines play. I saw them against Kentucky earlier in the year, when and he gave Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler problems. Defensively, he's a beast. Um, one more guy that actually reminds me of him, and I think this is a guy that will be on, on a board later as well, that could be Reese Beekman. Him and Eric Gaines are very similar. He's, he's also from uh, Louisiana. He went to high school there. Just popped in my head. Leads the NCAA in uh, assist to turnover ratio and defensively he's a pest. Um, Eric Gaines is the same side. I'm not sure I can get behind top 30. I can take him. He's draftable to me though. Uh, despite the size, he needs to work on his shooting, but he can, he's an effective college point guard and can be a good, can be a good NBA point guard as a backup in my opinion. Hey, I appreciate that. And yes, I do remember the Reese Beekman love because I remember watching Virginia and I go, leave totally like this is before you were officially my co-host this is back like in October you were talking about hey watch Reese Beekman as one of the better guards in the ACC and uh lo and behold it, it's happening and if he's not like obviously his stats don't pop off at eight points a game but he does so much of everything else same steals number as Eric Gaines and just really efficient I mean 35 percent from three 44 percent um Reese Beekman's another guy who I mean he'll eventually make his way there too you you were on him early uh, so I know you had told me, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, you told me what yours was. Yours is a little bit more organic because it allows us to talk about something much bigger. Go ahead and uh, and tell me what that discussion you wanted to open up was. Okay. So for those of you listening, this is not something I'm fully wed to as an idea, but I think this is worth a discussion. I think there's a chance that A.J. Griffin will be a better player than Paula Bancaro. And I don't, I'm not saying he should be the top option on Duke in terms of scoring. A lot of what he does is off the catch. He's, he's 99th percentile on um, catch and shoots. He's scoring 1.3 points per possession on those, which is pretty ridiculous. My, my thinking here is that he's, he's, a, he's nearly a year younger. He's coming off a knee injury, so a lot of his athleticism is being dampened, and, and he's playing 20 minutes a game, yet in the past – uh, five games, he scored more points than Paulo Bancaro, who's played uh, about 12 minutes per game more. That's about 60 minutes more in five games. And he scored more, and that includes a game where he scored five points. Against Carolina, he went 11-17, of 17, hit threes, he opened up. There are games where like, he catches the ball against Louisville. He, he went five for five from three to start that game, too. He catches the ball, and he shoots, and you're like, oh, shoot, that's going in. 
He's one of the best shooters in the country. He's 6'6", 222, 18 years old, off a uh, pretty serious knee injury. And I've got him at number five on my board and Ben Caro at three at the, at the moment. But I think this bears a very real discussion of who's the better prospect long-term. And I think it depends fits with the NBA. Often you say best player available. And I think it's close enough where you'd say, well, there's some teams I'd take A.J. Griffin. And it may not be the case because there are guys I have above Ben Caro, such as Chet and Jabari. And obviously Jaden Ivey's in that mix. And that's my solid top five right there. But I think – there are two Duke Blue Devils that you need to be thinking about as top five picks. And that's not crazy. But one, A.J. Griffin could be the better player down the road from Duke in this class. Hey, and I like it because one, it's not just like, a, hey, this random number 27th consensus player is actually a top five. It's not like some BS hot take. It's a really well-founded thing because I also have A.J. Griffin at number five. And he's climbing. And while there there is concern for me, the three-point shooting right now, like I'm very interested to see how he looks when that slumps because this is mathematically impossible to sustain. He's taking three threes a game, shooting 50% and also 70% from the line, barely getting there, which is kind of weird considering his play style. But I I think that number is going to come down, and I think we're going to see really just how good he is when that three-point shot isn't falling because you see this in prospects. It's natural to miss. It's natural to have – bad runs of three-point shooting. We've we've been tricked into thinking that, you know, you can have hot streaks. And uh, A.J. Griffin has played in 22 games already, so this isn't like some super small sample size. But we also don't want to be like fooled into like Aaron Neesmith, who shot 52% over 12 games. And we we're like, all right, sold on him as a shooter. We never got to see him regress. And now in the NBA, it really looks more like what the opposite end of that was. And we don't know what it will be with A.J. Griffin. My one thing for the shot – not buying the shot is his shot form is kind of weird um it's not the it's not the prettiest like the base is really uh, i guess really wide, wide. I yeah it's really the only way i can really think of it and it's the the way he kind of pushes the shot it's a little bit of a push shot but ultimately there's no fundamental things like i'm nitpicking at that point with paolo he does have shortcomings i mean there are legitimate concerns about some of his in-game athleticism how he can use it in the half court aj griffin i can't say the same thing and ultimately, to end this rant, I mean, you're picking between a, a great scorer and a guy who could be a great all-around player. And when that's the situation, I don't really think it's a hot take to take the great all-around player. I mean, there are people who are making cases on draft Twitter that I see that are saying, hey, A.J. Griffin could very well be the best player from this draft. Um, so before we go on with uh, more A.J. Griffin, was there anything uh, – this is a massive game, the North Carolina Duke game. He – A.J. Griffin played super well. I'll, I'll just read off his stat line, and then we can go into the game. But he had 27 points, 11 of 17 shooting, four rebounds, one assist, one steal, went three of six from three, two of two from the line. Talk to me about that game because that was the storyline of the weekend, Coach K's last visit to Chapel Hill. I just wasn't impressed with Carolina for the most part in that game. Duke came out well, and Carolina didn't have the firepower to come back. I think their guards need a little need to get better. Caleb Love's a guy that I've, I've heard people – I've had I've heard some people say even lottery. I think that's that's crazy high personally, but uh, I think there are a lot of people who have around thirty, and I still think he's a second round pick because he needs to improve his playmaking. Uh, he can shoot, but he doesn't do it for himself. Like he he can create a shot, but he doesn't do it within the system. Armando Baycott's the only player on uh, Carolina that's truly productive on a consistent basis. Brady Manick had a good game, but that wasn't going to be enough when there's two top five picks on the uh, on the other side. And not to mention guys like Wendell Moore Jr., 
who's probably the third best prospect, or Mark Williams. You know, take your pick at Duke, guys. Their depth of talent and breadth of talent really took over in that game. And I don't think it was – I thought Duke was going to win. I thought it would be close just because it's the rivalry. But the one team significantly better than the other. And I think they were motivated for Coach K. And, and A.J. Griffin and Paulo Bancaro early was the story. And A.J. Griffin throughout the game was the story. Yeah, I completely agree. And we had a very casual double-double from uh, Paolo Boncaro going 13-10 and 10 on 5 of 14. So not the most efficient game, but, you know, he was still able to – to get the ball in the basket. Uh, Mark Williams, I think, looked really good. Even had two assists, uh, two blocks. Like, he was – he was, he had some monster finishes, too. Uh, there was one I remember on Brady Manick. But, I mean, that Duke team is stacked. Uh, I mean, Trevor Keels comes off the bench. Like, it's it's ridiculous. They North Carolina had no chance. And just one thing on Caleb Love before we go into our final portion and talk about some of the upcoming games. Uh, Caleb Love is someone who I – when he was hot, like, I'd say probably through Christmas – um, I had him as top 30 prospect. I was there. Now I moved him to 50. So, you know, you kind of said it best. Can he create for others? Can he consistently while creating for himself consistently and also consistently shooting? It's a tough question to answer. But uh, when we come back, we will talk about some of the games that we have our eyes set on for this weekend. But again, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues into the Super Bowl next weekend, uh, Bengals, Rams, and obviously that's a big game. And then also uh, NBA playoffs are now only a couple months away. March Madness is a month away. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football and basketball. They also have NHL, college basketball, whenever the MLB comes back from lockout, boxing, UFC, along with real lifetime update updates of current games so don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022 season bet online where the game starts so um <clears throat> back with the leaf to lean again to finish up our show we're going to talk about some of our big games that we have our eyes set on and obviously you know every week in conference play especially for these power five conferences you're always going to get prospect matchups. So for me, I'll start with tonight on Tuesday. There's one that really stands out. If you follow me on Twitter, Abstraft, you leave Snotty and said he already knows what I'm about to say. Wisconsin versus Michigan State is a big one. Um, that's that to me is a massive test for two players. One, let's just start with Johnny Davis. He just came off the worst game of his season, his first single-digit scoring game. He was getting lit up by Seth Lundy at Penn State and a couple other guys on the deep on while he had the ball in his hands. I'm really interested to see how a better defender and better prospect in um, Max Christie, someone who I'm a massive fan of, does against him. And Max Christie's a really good defender. I have my eyes set on that game. Do you have your eyes? Uh, is that one of the games you're pretty set on? Or is there another game that has stood out to that's you? That's one I like. But there's there's a better Big Ten game in that. In that um, and that's, that's Illinois at Purdue. Uh, last yeah. time these two met up, they uh, they – went to double overtime. Purdue was the better team in that game, even though it was in Champaign. Per Illinois has gotten better since then. Illinois, to me, is one of the better teams in the country that's not ranked super highly. And Kofi's playing out of his mind. Not necessarily a draft prospect, but this is just like, you got to give credit where credit's due it sometimes. Zach Eady's the same way. He's, he's enormous. This is a battle of titans in the paint. And then you've got Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey's awesome. Andre Corbello is also pretty fun. Um, he's getting better. Um, but 
Ivy's got a real test, and, and Trent Frazier is one of the best defensive players in the Big Ten, and that'll be who draws the assignment to guard Ivy. One thing about you mentioned about Johnny Davis, I think Max Christie is awesome. We talked about him last week. I think that Gabe Brown will likely guard. Uh, I, I think because he's older, I think he'll be better at guarding him. But I will. I want to see that individual matchup between Davis and Christie as well. I'm hoping that the matchup of the draft prospects happens. My head tells me it'll probably be Gabe Brown on on Davis, but that's a great two big games in the Big Ten. Yeah, the Big Ten honestly, all of today on Tuesday is is one of the better scheduling days I feel like we've seen. We also have Indiana plays Northwestern, which I know doesn't jump off the page, but Pete Nance versus Trace Jackson Davis is really intriguing. And then tonight I'll be at TCU uh, versus Oklahoma State and hoping to see Mike Miles play against Isaac Likely, which is a massive test because I, I've preached this almost every episode, I feel like. But, you know, you don't necessarily need to have two top 100 prospects facing off each other to know what you're looking at. Isaac Likely is a really strong defender. Um, one of the best, I would say probably the best guard defender in the conference uh, off the top of my head. I would say like most polished, not necessarily best, you know, because he's not really a prospect. He just doesn't play offense very well, but he will put players in jail and Mike Miles could be a victim. Um, so a couple games, though, for this weekend that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said that Kentucky, anytime they're playing, I'm always intrigued by, especially if. Oscar, or excuse me, Colin Castleton is playing. They play Florida. Um, Colin Castleton is a fringe top 80 guy for me versus Oscar Chibwe, who's a fringe top 75. So like, they're in the same range. That's something for me to watch. That's a very niche element, but also just Ty Ty Washington, top 10 prospect. Can't really miss out on him. And uh, I, I'm interested to see that. What are some other games that are standing out for you? I'll let you take, the, take this home. There's not a ton of ranked matchups, so it's, like, not as fun on paper. This weekend had amazing matchups on paper. None of them really amounted to much. I expect there to be some really competitive games. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how Baylor rebounds when they play Texas. I expect them to take care of business there. Alabama and Arkansas intrigues me. That's another one that I think, not necessarily from a prospect's perspective, I think there are guards for Alabama that will get better. Uh, that'll, you know, and then J.D. Note is a guy that I, we're both high on. I don't know where I'd rank him right off the top of my head. I'd have to watch a little more film, but, you know, it's a fun matchup. And then one more that I think is is cheating a little bit. Um, I'm not terribly intrigued by the score of this game because I think Gonzaga is going to destroy St. Mary's, but I love St. Mary's the way they play. Maybe they'll give them a test. But Chet Holmgren's been awesome of late. And, you know, we've talked about Jabari. we talked about Paulo quite a bit. Let, let's talk about Chet Holmgren real briefly. He – uh he had 20 points, 17 rebounds, six assists, and five blocks in his last game. And that was against BYU, who was second in the um, in the in the big WCC. Probably, I mean, they've gone in a bit of a cold week, but entering entering the league, they they're second talent wise. And so I um, I feel pretty pretty confident that Chet's starting to warm up, and I'm excited to see him progress this year and and really make the push for number one terribly interesting. Yeah, I mean, can we just – we need to spend an entire episode. Next week, honestly, let's just talk about Chet. That'll be what we're talking about. This is your tease for next week already. Chet Holmgren's awesome. I mean, I, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, I don't think he's number one. I don't think I can ever put him number one just because I have so many concerns with his frame. But I do think he could end up being one of the – I think he could be the number one most talented player from this class because what he is doing is just stupid. Uh, the game against San Diego, I watched that. I haven't seen the BYU game yet, admittedly, but – the San Diego game, I mean, 
just search Mavshraft chat. I tweeted everything I could and I didn't tweet anything. I felt like I was like, huh, I didn't even post this little tiny little thing where he just dominates all of the little stuff. And he's so productive. He's too good for college basketball right now. And I'm very interested to see how he scales up. He is an absolute must watch. And also they play Pacific. I'm sure he'll play very well against them. I mean, he's a top tier box score watcher for me. So that'll be someone that we will definitely be talking about next week. Uh, so I'll be doing my homework on Chet. I'm sure Leaf will too. But Leaf, um, I know since you are still new as the co-host, tell everybody where they can find you. And then, uh, you know, we'll talk about Chet next week. But I'll let you bring it home to Leaf. Almost called you Chet there. I'll, I'll take being called Chet. Like, I'll take that mistake. Fun fact about Chet real quickly is he shot – before entering the BYU game where he played amazingly at the 2017-6-5, he was shooting 64% in his last, like, I don't know, 33s. Some, some like, not small but – like, small but not terribly small sample size. And it was unbelievable for a guy who's 7-1. Um, you can find me probably tweeting about Chet maybe at some point. I might have to find this stat. Um, at Leaf Too Lean, and, and yeah, just keep listening to our show. We really appreciate the support, and if you ever need some draft talk, I'm all, more than happy to on Twitter. So, uh, at Leaf Too Lean, and thanks again for, for the support of this show. Yeah, and, and please like and subscribe us on YouTube. We just started up. Uh, the whole show is getting started up on Locked On NBA Draft on YouTube. And then with the NBA trade deadline coming this week, from 2 to 4 p.m. Um, on February 10th, at 3 p.m. Uh, excuse me, at yeah, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Sorry, my time zones are all mixed up. Uh, we are doing a special Locked On NBA trade deadline show with John Corrales of Locked On, uh, Locked On Celtics. You know, you got Kim Becker as well. Uh, Locked On fantasy basketball host Josh Lloyd. I watched it last year. It was really fun. Who knows what this deadline will be? We already saw. I was actually recording a podcast when this happened, uh, and it was the Karis LeVert trade. It's going to be craziness. I live for it. Turn on Woj notifications. But uh, that'll do it for this show. Next week, we'll be locked on Chet Holmgren. Thank you for listening. And please go ahead and check us out on YouTube. And have a wonderful rest of your day.